listening to The Trauma Beat, hosted by me, Tamara Cherry. Check the show notes for anything that might activate your own trauma responses. And as always, like, subscribe, leave a review, do what you can if you like what you hear. Episode 3, my conversation with school shooting survivor, Angela M. start out by introducing yourself. Uh, I'm Angela McQueen. I am a high school teacher in Illinois. Uh, and in September 2017, I subdued and disarmed a school shooter in our cafeteria. What are your first recollections, Angela, of the media or the media coverage after your traumatic event? Uh, it was very overwhelming. I felt like they were kind of pushy. Uh, because of the situation that I was in and what I had done, I immediately got lots of phone calls and, and those kind of things. And I felt like it was constant, constant for, you know, 24, 48 hours at least. I mean, I, I know it slowed down, but like for that first 24, 48 hours, I felt like I was constantly inundated um, with stuff from the media, like requests from the media. So you just, you, that was you, very, very hard. You just to expand on that a little bit, you because you filled out one of the surveys for my research project, um, and in it you described journalists staking out your house in the hours after the shooting, calling your house, calling your work phone, emailing your work email, calling your cell phone repeatedly. I don't think that that would necessarily surprise journalists because they've probably done those things. But can you yeah. just expand on what that experience was like for you as you were also dealing with? obviously the trauma that you had just experienced. Right, well, like the, the staking out the house, I didn't actually, wasn't actually home. They were gone by the time I got home, but somebody like they had posted or tweeted or whatever, the picture of my house with them there. And that somebody had showed it to me and that that kind of freaked me freaked me out a little bit. I'm like, what if they're still there? Um, you know, even once I got home, I'm like, are they going to come back? Are they going to just, you know, keep coming to my house until they, they catch me? Uh, I don't think when we were talking about the staking out the house thing, they think about other people because they were doing that for my house, but little notes to them, the house directly across from me had a girl, a fresh, she was a freshman in the cafeteria, um, a young lady. So then they're trying to process that as a family when, you know, she's, you know, potentially a few feet from the shooter. And then now they have this media out right out front of their house as well. Um, so that I feel like that probably, I know that affected them because like they made a comment, like, you know, I mean, not necessarily like more of an in a joking way, but like about the, the media being out there. Um, the, the phone calls and stuff, like I said, was overwhelming. It's not like it was like, here's a phone call, here's an email. Like when I'm getting dozens, I get home from, from what happened afterwards. And I've got multiple emails on my home phone. When I got back to work the next day, there were multiple um, calls on my work phone. Uh, I had multiple emails and it's, like I said, it wasn't just, I had a, the only person that called my cell phone was CBS, I believe. And they called, I want to say three or four times. I kept ignoring them and eventually they stopped. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the multiple ones and I didn't like, like the cell phone thing. Somebody had to have given them my cell phone number because I'm pretty, pretty um, stingy with that. Um, mm -hmm. But just the, the, the inundation over and over, like, why wouldn't you just wait for me to respond? Um, that would have been nice. So like I said, it's, it's just the over and over and over um, um, dealing with it. So I, that caused a lot of, a lot of anxiety for me because I'm trying to, I, I'm still in a fog and then. 
I'm getting all this. And that was one of the things like the superintendent, like the next day asked, you know, what can we do? And I'm like, well, I'm getting phone calls out the wazoo. So is there anything you can do? And I, I don't know how he dealt with that. Um, but he tried to do something with that so that I wasn't getting as many calls. And I know it slowed down within three to five days. I mean, it hit slow down, but, um, but that like I said, long three to five days. Oh yeah. 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 Well, and just like I said, okay, you, you did it once. You didn't get a response. Give me a chance um, to respond. And we'll all talk more about that later, but um, yeah, it's just, it was super overwhelming. You didn't, I, or I didn't put this question in the list that I sent you. So feel free to just skip over it if you're not comfortable asking or answering, but just everything you're saying, you keep saying that you didn't get a chance to respond. Did you want to respond? Did any part of you want to talk to the media? Uh, at some point, yes. I mean, we'll I'll talk about this later um, or I can talk about it now. Um, yeah, I mean, yes and no, like not in that moment, no. Like not in the moment, like I was just, I was overwhelmed and I just, I, I wanna be done. Now later on yes but in that moment no no you described um in your survey that the journalists that you did encounter were pushy and you said that they didn't care about you are you referring to the journalists who were trying to contact you or ones that you actually saw are you ex are you comfortable expanding on that uh, uh, well a little bit of both it was just the ones that you know like i said it was over and over and over right like you know cb cbs you called my cell phone three times and i ignored you and you just kept calling. Mm. Um, eventually, I think I think they're actually the ones that my parents ended up doing an interview with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they may have given up on me and then um, went there. So yeah, it's it's the over and over and over. But then uh, not waiting for the response. But then there, the ones that got me more were the more local um, situations. There's a couple different ones, but the one that that got me more was it was a little bit afterwards. We were trying to do some stuff for. Um, to help people. I mean, I know it was within a year. It was like that spring, I believe, mm -hmm. just trying to help people understand trauma and like how it could have affected them. Um, those kind of things. We wanted to have maybe like a panel discussion, not specifically about the shooting, although we wanted to have an opportunity for people to talk about um, or ask questions that they may particularly have. Well, uh, one of the people that were going to be a part of that panel went to the newspaper and said, hey, this is what we're doing. Would you mind like getting the word out so that we could, you know, get parents and because our school district didn't really want to get the word out so we thought well we'll go to the newspaper and see if they'll um get the word out for us well the guy messages me on facebook the guy that or the reporter that had done the initial thing and was basically because we basically said this is going to be not not close it's open to public but he basically said he wanted to come and cover it like it was a basketball game and i'm like that's not what this is for. This is a panel discussion for people to understand about trauma and learn about trauma and, and potentially ask questions. They're not going to do that with a reporter sitting next to them. Well, then his response back to me was, well, we're going to run a story saying you're denying us access. Awesome. You know, so that, well, then we're like scrambling. Okay. So what do we do now? Because we're not about being negative and negative press. We're just trying to help people and you're trying to interfere with this you know, attempt to help people. I was like, so should we do like a public thing? And then, you know, like a general thing about trauma and then cut it off to the public and then parents and, and kids, if you want to stay to staff, if you want to stay, then we'll have more of a question answer type situation. And so we were going through that. Well, but then our shooter's family posted on Facebook, Hey, we're coming. And then everybody's like, 
uh, no, we're not coming. So we ended up having to cancel it anyway. Um, so it probably wasn't the best thing to go to the, the media in the first place. Um, but just the, the whole threatening, like we're gonna, we're gonna run a story about you denying us access. Like we're just trying to help people. Yeah. Um, and you clear, you clearly don't understand that. Like you're, you're trying to sensationalize stuff. I feel like maybe they were wanting to try to come and get people's stories, mm-hmm. um, which is not, I mean, that's not what that was for. I mean, like I said, it's, it's not, it's not a, basketball game like, like this is this is a, they were just trying to, to help people um and that was that was very frustrating um that you kind of screwed it up but. and that was that was a situation where the media in that case could have played a role in helping to do good rather than oh yeah 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 absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely and, and instead of supporting us in that they were like, I don't want to say sensationalized, but we're, I feel like trying to, they had their own motives for doing it. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't about helping people. It was what stories can we get out of this? Right. So, right. You described um, in your survey, Angela, an interview that you granted months after the shooting for which the journalist said that they were only going to do a background piece about you and not talk about the shooting at all. And then the journalist ended up asking you about the shooting. Can you tell me what impact that had on you being taken off guard like that? Well, it, it totally reframed how um, I would interact with media. You know, it, I, I said I did want to talk to media and I, I did want to to get my story out. But up until that point, sometimes when these things happen, they, the, the trials and stuff happen fairly quickly. And then sometimes they don't. Like ours was over a year because they kept asking for continuances over and over and over. Um, so everything kept getting pushed off. So I was very careful about what I was saying because I'm thinking I don't want to say anything that's going to potentially screw anything up. I mean, I wouldn't think anything I would have said would have screwed it up, but I, I'm trying to be very careful about, I know what information is already out there. So I'm going to be very careful about what I say. Um, so I didn't really want to talk specifically about that until I knew the trial was over until, until things were done. Um, and my superintendent had asked me to do it as a favor to, he had a friend that was, um, I don't know what she was with the paper, but somebody affiliated with the paper. And I said, you know, as long as they don't ask about the shooting, fine. Well, they, they actually did, I thought they did multiple background pieces. I know they did one on our, our SRO, our school resource officer, and I read it. And it, it was exactly what they said it was. It was a background piece. They didn't talk about the shooting, I don't believe at all. I mean, it was all about who he was, where he grew up, you know, background degrees, education, you know, how he got into law enforcement, how he ended up as an SRO, those kind of things. So I, I assumed it was going to be fine. It was going to be be like they said it was, you know, but when he came to my room that day and he did a couple background questions. I don't remember what they were. He said, asked me a couple things. He asked me one and he's like, so you're from Marshall, right? And I'm like, yeah. And then immediately he went into the shooting. Like he asked me like, two back questions and then immediately went into the shooting. I um, mean, this is, again, this was another local journalist. It wasn't the same one as the other. Um, but like I said, I've had more problems with the local journalist, I think, than, than overall. But then that's framing my whole reaction to everything. So as, as he's asking me these questions, like now at this point, I would just say nope and I would walk out of the room. Mm-hmm. At that time, we're a few months in, I don't know, four, five, six months. And my reaction was different at that point. Number one, I was completely taken aback. Like I, when my boss says, please do this, I guarantee you this isn't going to happen. And then it does like, 
I, I didn't know what to do. I, kind of, I don't want to say I freaked out, but like, I was like, what do I do now? My boss asked me to do this. Can I walk out? I don't know if I can walk out. Um, but now I wouldn't even care if my, I would be like, nope. And then I would just go to my boss and say, this is what happened. Um, but I'm far enough removed from it that I, and I'm far enough in my healing process now that I feel like I could do that. Mm-hmm. But at the time I was just like, ah, 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 ah. so then I'm trying to be very careful about what he's asking and what I'm saying. And then I, I remember at one point saying something and you could tell by his reaction, he didn't know that. That was something that apparently no one was aware. I think it was the fact that our administrator came in with the SRO um, after I'd got the kid down. Um, but he, the, but then he starts asking follow-up questions and I'm like, crap. And I'm trying to be as careful as I can. Like I said, I don't know that anything I would have said would have messed anything up, but I'm, I'm completely taken aback. I'm trying to be as careful as I can. Um, and then he just keeps, you know, I won't say hounding, but keeps asking Um so like that upset me. And I can't remember, I remember calling at least once my superintendent and I was, you know, I was bawling, I was upset, mm-hmm. you know, because he asked, I feel like I called him and said, Hey, he asked about the shooting. He wasn't supposed to. And I was really upset. And then like the next day the paper came out or the article came out and he actually misquoted me on something. And I don't remember what it was specifically, but it's, so I'm frustrated. The fact that you did something you said you weren't going to do. You lied. You, you told my boss you weren't going to ask. And then that's all your story was. And then on top of that, you misquoted me. And I don't even remember if it was a huge misquote, but it was something that, you know, I was, obviously I was bothered by. Um, so I know I called him again. And so then I'm having this anxiety. I'm upset for the next few days because you did this to me. You know, you're, you're affecting my healing process by, by doing that. Mm-hmm. And, so. and when you say affecting your healing process, is it the the broken trust? Is that is that the biggest yeah, thing? Yeah, and, and, and yeah. And also just having to have you live through those moments again when you weren't expecting it, having to. Yeah. It? Well, yeah, and then the concern, like I said, I I was always very, I was very concerned that I didn't want to say or do anything to screw anything up because I wanted to make sure that he got a, an appropriate punishment. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's part of it too. And, and part of my trauma and dealing with trauma is stress management and anxiety and doing that like surprise. Mm-hmm. I don't like, I've never liked surprises, but I don't deal well with surprises anymore. Um, that kind of thing. Um, then that surprises tend to increase my anxiety. So that's a very common sentiment that I've heard from many trauma survivors. Do you think that in that moment when that journalist was asking asking you those questions that you didn't want to answer, but you were answering, were you answering them because you didn't feel like you could say no, you didn't know what your rights were, um, you were trying to be polite? Like, how would you describe that? Or was it just that you didn't have a chance to think about it? It was just, you were there and, you know, like what has changed between then and now? Because you said now you just say no, move on. Most, I would say mostly thought like I just, I didn't have a chance to think. And then partially politeness. Cause like I said, I was afraid, like, what if I say no, is my boss then going to be mad at me? He asked me to do this. Am I going to, I don't want to say get in trouble with my boss, but you know, you don't know. I mean, and I, I mean, not that it's paranoid, but like maybe the boss did know that I don't think he did, but like, what if the boss did know that he was going to ask those things? Like you don't, you don't, you don't know. I'm but sure I, I think in the moment, too. yeah, I appreciate that. But like I said, it's mostly just not having the chance to think. Like I said, my brain process, I feel like my brain processes stuff slower. I'm not, I'm not dumb, but sometimes it takes a second to click. Um, and, and 
like I said, I, I'm better now than I was back then that, you know, I feel more confident now in my ability to be like, okay, no, I can process a little, a little faster now, or, oh, wait a second. No. Hey, um, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Lilly said that you weren't going to talk about this. So why exactly? Are we I feel like I could have had a better response now than I could have then. Mm-hmm. How do you, well, I, I think this, but go ahead. No, go ahead. No, please continue. I was going to say, I feel like I'm, I'm more confident now. I've spoken more like that was one of the, that was maybe the second time I spoke. Mm-hmm. I spoke to the um, teachers union. They wanted to do something uh, well, actually, I think the, the if I'm trying to remember, we, we had a meeting with multiple school people and they wanted a way to get some information out there um, to appease journalists, appease media without, but in within a more structured, like we have control over what's going out. So we did something with the teachers union, they did, or the, the IEA, the local or the state union, um, put like a little thing out where they talked to me. Um, but I talked then and then I talked uh, to this guy. And that was the, that was only the second time. Now I've talked enough about my experience and I've talked to different people, not necessarily reporters, but I've talked enough about my experience now that I feel more comfortable and and confident in speaking. And, and with the teachers union, like with your first interview, if we can call it that, that there was a layer of protection there because you weren't talking directly to the public. You weren't talking directly to the media. They were looking out for your best interests and and doing something to try to i guess keep the media away like the media wants a story yeah let's give yes. them one and do you do you think that helped like them the teachers union putting that out do you did do you think it it helped appease the media or satiate their appetite for the story i think a little bit yeah yeah i mean because it got some of the basic information the basic story out um, so yeah, because like at that point i don't think they'd heard nobody had heard anything from me so hearing the 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 situation from my perspective, I think, gave enough at that time. This might see, seem like an obvious, some obvious answers for this question, but if you could just spell it out for me, Angela, how do you think that the media coverage, whether in the immediate aftermath of the event or months down the road, could have been done differently to make the experience more positive for you? Ooh, I would say, and I know they don't want to do this because everybody wants the, the news in the moment, but giving some time, like they didn't even wait 24 hours. I mean, if you can wait 48 hours, three, five days, whatever, not that that wouldn't, not that that would fix it, but in that moment, you were in such a fog, like I call it brain fog. I still get brain fog sometimes, um, especially around the anniversary, but you know, there's like a cloud, like you can't think clearly. You're not thinking about everything. Like, uh, we had like a, some of us, not all of us did like a, a quick little discussion with a, a guy trained in critical incidents afterwards, you know, and I've talked to them, him since then. And he, you know, he's like, he, like, I don't want to say I didn't learn anything from it, but like stuff went in one ear and out the other. Cause in that moment, you're just numb. And he, you know, he said, you know, you could tell like your face, you're just like, you're not, you're there, but you're not there mm-hmm. um, in that moment. So giving people a chance to decompress just a little bit, um, would be nice. And you're never, I mean, you're not going to decompress necessarily in three to five days, but there's going to be less of that fog. You're going to be able to think a a little bit clearly like emailing, I feel like is a little bit better because that gives you a little bit of a chance to respond. Like I can think about my response. You know, if you'd waited three to five days to email me, then at that point, I I'll get into this. I think I get into this later, but, um, 
that gives me a chance to think about what I want to say. Or maybe at that point I can say, you know, yeah, I do want to talk to you, but I don't feel I'm, I'm ready yet. So maybe we could schedule something in two weeks, a month. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe they don't want to wait that long, but at least that gives me the opportunity to do that. Cause like to me, emailing wasn't, isn't quite as intimidating yeah. um, versus the, but to me, the phone calls are a little more personal. I mean, that's how it is in general with relationships. If you're emailing is much less, personal than picking up the phone and calling somebody. You know, a text is less personal than picking up and video calling or, or phone calls, um, those kind of things. Hey, it's your host, Tamara Cherry. Ever wonder what it would be like to record your own audiobook? I did. I agonized over it. How would my already raspy voice last so many hours of talking? And what if I broke down in tears reading some particularly painful passage out loud for the first time? Well, with the right tea and a patient producer, my voice made it through. There were some tears, but unlike when I was writing my book, those tears were driven more by passion than by pain. I really want you to listen to it. I really want you to care. I really want to change this business of bad news. Hear my tears in The Trauma Beat, a case for rethinking the business of bad news, wherever you get your audiobooks, or just read them in a regular book. Okay, back to the podcast. Just the, I want to say, being more transparent, um, because like the, I said, we had those couple different situations with the local reporters, like I felt like they weren't over, well, the one over, wasn't overly transparent, the other one was kind of pushy. Uh, like this past summer, I had the chance to be, do uh, 60 Minutes, and they had a thing on Carnegie Heroes, and they asked, the Carnegie had asked me to do it, and I said, yeah, I'll think about it, so then when I, but then when I started talking to the um people from 60 minutes, like they refused to give the questions ahead of time. Like they weren't gonna let me like see any questions. I was like, well, you know, could, you know, after we, if we did this, could I see like what is gonna be presented before you actually, you know, put it out on air? No. And not having any sort of input into that, you know, and that would be one of my suggestions I was gonna talk about later is, is, is being a little more transparent. Um, with people like that would have been a more positive experience for me. So having went through this negative experience with our local people, now I have this really cool opportunity and that lack of transparency then kind of feeds over into here. Although it was good. Cause then I knew to ask, Hey, can I see some questions ahead of time? Mm -hmm. And they said, no. Um, but what, you know, what, that, that, how would that have helped you, Andrew? I'm sorry to interrupt there, but I want to dig into that a little bit deeper if we can. Getting the questions, I mean, you're in a situation right now where you have yeah. you have the list of questions ahead of time. You could think about it. Is it about creating that safety? The like you said, yeah. when you're take when you're surprised by something that creates anxiety for you. Is is that yeah. what it's about? Yeah, I mean, mostly, yeah. Yeah. It's mostly about being able to stop and think. And like I said, I'm not dumb. I can process things, but sometimes it takes me a, a second for things to click. You know, if you're asked, sometimes I even have to have, have people ask a question a second time because it takes, takes a second for me to, to figure out what they're doing. And if, if I can have, a, you know, something ahead of time and stop and think, okay, well, how would I answer this? How would I say this? I um, mean, make sure I, I don't want to say it the right way. Um, that takes that anxiety away. Mm -hmm. So, cause like I said, I, I, I don't, I didn't, I don't ever want to be in the same situation where I was before where I, I'm kind of blindsided um, by a reporter or, or somebody from the media. So that would, that would be very helpful. Some, some more transparency of being willing to, you know, do those kind of things. And offer I, questions. I, I, I just want to take this, this chance right now to, um, to point out the fact, because 
I think that a lot of journalists, if they were asked, you know, why won't you show the questions ahead of time? I mean, there's a couple of things. First of all, it's just the way things have always been done and it's the way they're done mm -hmm. with every type of news story. But one of the messages I'm trying to convey is that when it comes to trauma, it's got to be treated differently. It's just different. It's not a politician. It's not, uh, you know, a, a professional athlete. You're not talking to some kid at the school fair. Um, but also um, journalists might think that they won't get the authenticity from somebody if they give them the questions ahead of time. They'll just be reading off a script. But I'm just, I'd like to point out, Angela, you're coming across as very authentic and very candid. And in my experience interviewing many survivors who have had the chance to make notes ahead of time, like you, I find that it leads to better responses, you know, um, because you can be more thorough. And I, I don't want you to be left after the interview saying, shoot, I didn't think to say this. I wish that I would have right. known that question was coming. So I, I just wanted to point that out for anybody listening or watching that um, it, it can be beneficial both ways. Not that, not that journalists should necessarily need to see the benefit for themselves, but if they do, um, I would just point that out as a former journalist. Um, something that, did you want to add something there, Angela? No, I was going to say that's uh, kind of skipping ahead because one of the questions you were going to ask was about how, you know, what, where, or, um, what advice would you have for journalists? Like you literally almost said exactly one of the things that I was going to say is you have to treat people differently, people with trauma differently. I mean, in education, we call it differentiation. Kids are different. You have to treat them differently. You have to teach things differently. It's the same thing here. And I, I literally wrote down politician, athlete, like, oh. You're going to, I completely understand why you wouldn't want to give a politician questions. Ahead. I totally understand that, but trauma is different. Um, so yeah. You're, you're holding a politician to account. You're not holding a trauma survivor to account. You don't need to have right. an accountability interview with a trauma survivor. Right. Um, something that came up a lot in various surveys, especially in the mass violence school shooting communities was that, um, that, media coverage can create a hierarchy amongst survivors. You mentioned in your survey that the media can create a hierarchy even amongst different shootings. Can you expand on that and the impact that you think that has on various survivors? Well, I, I don't think it's just relegated to the media. I think it's society in general create, has a hierarchy. Like to me, it's well, nobody died in your shooting, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Or, oh, you only had two or three people get hurt, so it's not that big of a deal. It's like, because no one died, you should get over it real quickly. Um, and that, But that's not how trauma works. Um, it, it's just not. Um, I think it's just a lack of understanding on, on how trauma affects people that you, you don't just get over it. Um, you aren't just fine. Um, just because it wasn't a Columbine doesn't mean that we weren't affected just as much. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that, that to me, the big, the big thing is the lack of understanding of trauma and how trauma affects people is the big thing. And I don't, like I said, I don't think it's relegated just to, mm -hmm. to media. Everybody thinks you should get over it. You know, people will make comments about, you know, getting over, why aren't you over yet? It's not like anybody died. Mm -hmm. Like even people within the community that w weren't directly related to the school, they don't have kids there, you know, the, that kind of thing. But that's not how trauma works. You, you don't tell a rape victim, you know, get over it. You raped, get over it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, why do you tell us survivors, you know, nobody died. You're okay. Get over it. Um, and like I said, I, I don't feel like that's just media. It's just, just society in general.
What, what impact does that have on you, Angela, like hearing those sorts of comments? It makes, it makes us feel like what we went through didn't matter, like that, that it wasn't a big deal. Well, everybody's telling me I should be fine. So I guess I should be fine. But, you know, if, if you haven't dealt with your trauma, then no, you're not going to be fine. If you haven't started that healing process, um, you're not going to be fine. But like I said, it, it makes us feel like we don't, I don't want to say we don't matter, but like what we went through didn't matter mm-hmm. um, because it wasn't a big deal Yeah, or it wasn't yeah. a big event. And I've, I've heard from other survivors that have expressed extremely similar sentiments to you, Angela, that hearing that actually stopped them from getting the help that they needed like for yeah. several years, you know, so they didn't access those mental health supports that could have helped right. them earlier on because they felt like their trauma wasn't validated. Um, what about the media coverage of other traumatic events? How are you impacted by that? Not a lot, I would say, anymore, except when it's the like 24-7 multiple day events. Like that's harder for me because then I'm like, okay, I feel like I either have to get off social media or I can't be on social media much. Mm-hmm. Or, or if I'm watching TV, I got to make sure I'm flipping the channel a lot. Uh, when it's that, when it's the huge coverage uh, the 24 seven type stuff. I do like to be informed enough that I'm not like surprised. Mm. Uh, the only time I ever really, really meet, remember being other than the 24 seven stuff being super um, impacted was it was like four months or so after the shooting, one of my students came in and like the first thing he did in class was run up to me and say, did you hear about the shooting of Marshall? Mm. And I'm like, like I immediately stopped because where I grew up is called Marshall. Yeah. I was like, <gasps> And it, it, I was like, oh my God, we just had a shooting here in Mattoon. And then now where I grew up, we had a shooting. And then I'm, I'm in my brain, I'm thinking this. And then, then as he's talking, I, I realized, oh, he's talking about Marshall, Kentucky. Mm. <sighs> I mean, but then that rest of that day, my heart's like, mm. you know, thinking about that. Because then you start thinking, well, yeah, it could happen in Marshall as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's the, the, the only one I really remember being majorly impacted by. I mean, the rest of them, like you get, I get, I call it like an icky feeling, like you hear it and you get, <gasps> um, but then that's, that's kind of it. And like I said, if I'm, if I stay informed, cause like I'm on the, the, the Facebook page, the rebels Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So somebody will say something about trigger warning. I usually go look so that I can, and I figure out what's going on just so that I have enough information. Um, and then that's that's usually an, enough for me. I mean, it's not like I said, unless it's the huge events like the the Vegas or Parkland or those kind of things, uh, I can usually handle it pretty well. I mean, I, I I'll feel icky. Maybe I don't sleep great for a night or two, um, but I, I'm okay for the most part with those. But for, if I understand you correctly, what I'm hearing is that you know you get yourself enough information so that you have that control, so you're not yeah surprised. yeah so yes. Run up to you and yes. Say, Did you hear about? And you're not right. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, honestly, I think, I feel like that's kind of why whenever somebody posts something about like a trigger warning, like I feel like that's why I go do that so that it's not, Hey, surprise. Yeah. Um, and then you're shocked. Yeah. Angela, what does the term trauma informed journalism mean to you? Um, for me, it's, it's, it's knowing enough about trauma, um, or taking enough time to learn about trauma. Um, and that, to learn that it affects people differently. You know, it might affect one person, X, Y, Z, somebody else, ABC, understanding that it affects everybody differently, trying to be aware of the ways it can affect people. Um, Because hopefully that can 
frame how you interact with survivors. Like if you understand that, you know, surprise interviews are going to cause somebody anxiety and maybe that might be the trigger is anxiety, you know, maybe you are going to be more willing to provide those questions um, up front. So those kind of things. So like understanding enough about trauma to understand that there's a lot of different um, reactions to trauma. I mean, for me, one of the things that I struggled with initially was I didn't think, I didn't think I was that affected because I didn't have nightmares and I didn't have flashbacks. So I'm not that affected. And everybody's telling us, well, nobody died. Yay. It's not that big of a deal. Get over it. Um, but then when I started doing kind of doing my own research and figuring things out on my own and realizing, oh, stress management, oh, anxiety, oh, X, Y, Z things that, that I am struggling with are part of that. So understanding um, those kind of things would be, or, or I, I think is helpful. So, um, and, and being more willing to be patient um, and not, I've got to get to somebody within that first 24 hours, I got to get within the first 48 hours, giving them that chance to decompress. So understanding enough about trauma um, and giving people a chance to decompress, um, I feel like are, are part of being trauma-informed. What would your advice be to other survivors who may be faced with media attention like you were? I would say don't seek it out. Not necessarily don't do it, but don't seek it out. I would say for me, you know, my reaction two days after, two months after, two weeks after would be very different than two years after. Mm. So it's not necessarily not, I mean, how I would interact with, with uh, the media would be different in, at those different points of times. So I wouldn't say don't do it. I would just say, give yourself a chance to decompress yourself. So if somebody is wanting to contact you, give yourself some grace, give yourself some time. You know, if that's just like, Hey, I don't want to talk right now. Can you give me a week? Those kind of things. So don't necessarily not do it, but give yourself some grace, give yourself some time to at least get through that fog um, mm -hmm. before you do that. So, that I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, cause like right now, I, I mean, I, I won't say I want to, but I, I want to share, I want to help. I haven't done a lot of interview interviews, but I've done a lot of speaking and I like doing that speaking because I, I like I said, I want to help people understand trauma. I want to help people um, get better from whatever, whatever they're dealing with, or, or even just interacting with people um, that have been through something traumatic. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned earlier how you said, you know, um, you, you said to your school administrator or your superintendent, you know, when they asked, what can we do to help? You mentioned the media. What about yeah. advice for victim service providers or other people whose roles may be to support survivors? How can they better support survivors with the media? Uh, well, just in general, I, I wish there was a program like a now I would call it like a now what program so you've been through this thing and I it wouldn't affect some places like you know Vegas or a mall or something necessarily like that but like school shootings workplace shootings you know we train on so we got a shooter what do you do so we train on that but then once that's done there's no program for now what now now how do you handle things how do you handle healing? How do you handle when the media is calling? How do you do those things? So if there was a way to create a program um, that could help survivors, I mean, and then that would just be one aspect within that program, but um, creating some sort of program, like a now what program, okay, you've been through this horrible thing. Now, how, how do you move forward? How do you, how do you deal with the media? How do you deal, do you deal with your trauma? How do you um, deal with everything? That would be nice. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how realistic that is, because even if those programs are available, 
Like that doesn't mean the school or the workplace or those kind of things are going to take advantage of it. Like, like, cause you know, you know, I, I work to try to get some, not a program, but some people that have been through shootings and stuff before to come in and, you know, can we have those people come in and, and, you know, talk us through some stuff? No, we're good. Mm. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. And I, I feel like a lot just based off, you know, being a part of the Facebook page, the Rebels Facebook page, you know, kind of sometimes reading the comments, like the way workplaces are, that they don't necessarily, I'm not sure if they would necessarily be open to that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would be helpful, but I don't know if they would be open to that because it's like, here's a rug, let's sweep it under. And then we're going to roll up the rug and then we're going to stick in a closet and lock it and then burn the house down. Because yeah. that's how trauma works. If you just, yeah. Um, but those, I mean, those kind of things, creating a program and that would, like I said, that would be one, just one aspect of it is dealing with the media, but how do you, how do you deal with the aftermath? Mm -hmm. um, and like, cause like I said, I hadn't, I wasn't prepared for getting all the phone calls and emails and, mm -hmm. and all that. If there would have been something in place that they could have went to and said, okay, as soon as this happened, we're contacting this organization and then they, maybe they have that. Okay. When it comes to media, you do this. Yes. Um, and those that would have been would nice have to be put in place immediately. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and finally, I mean, you've said so much already throughout our interview and we sort of addressed this question earlier, but what, what advice, do you have any other advice uh, for journalists that you wanted to mention who might be covering these uh, sorts of incidents? Uh, when, when you start talking about this, cause we've talked about different things like providing the questions ahead and those kind of things. Um, but when you're talking about school shootings, understanding that like you're, we can't talk. Like I wasn't supposed to, to, um, give an interview, let alone like, or excuse me, make a statement, let alone ask questions or answer questions. Like typically when you're talking about a school shooting, you're going to have a district person that is going to be responsible for that. Mm -hmm. um, already. So understanding that maybe instead of calling multiple staff or multiple teachers or trying to, to go to the school and, and pull, um, pull staff members as you see them walking out of the building, instead of doing something like that, contacting that spokesperson. Um, I mean, that would be, I think, helpful to the staff. Also, when you're talking about kids, I mean, we're talking about kids still. Um, you know, our brains don't develop until we're around 25. Here, they're trying to process this trauma. And then, you know, you're trying to interview these kids that are standing out along the, the street, you know, as they've ran from the, um, from the shooting. Like, understanding that they are kids maybe back off a little bit they are minors um maybe i mean you can get parent permission i think um for for the minors but let the kids deal with the trauma not necessarily that you don't ever talk to the kids but kind of like you do with the adults as well like give them a chance chance to decompress and then maybe you have that opportunity to to talk to a parent and the parent says yeah sure i'm okay with this my kid talking well maybe this other parent isn't okay with your kid talking so did you, um, have, th those did you have that after after your uh, event, Angela? Like, was the media outside your school trying to talk to the kids after it happened? Uh, uh, I, uh, like, I know they were at some point because I remember seeing interviews with different kids. Because, like, I remember a kid talking about, I remember where he was in the cafeteria. He was next to our vending machines, and he had dove under the table, and then he, like, got his friends out. I remember him talking about that. Um, and he, I, he was not, I know he was not 18 at the time. So he was a, a, an underclassman. I think maybe they talked to him because we have, a, we had a reunification center. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing um, it was there. I'm, I'm not sure where, um, 
it was, but I, I would assume it would have been at their reunification center. Um, they'd grab some kids because they either ran there or were bus there, mm-hmm. um, or they could have got them along the side of the road, I suppose, too. Um, but yeah, there were some kids that had spoke. I don't, not a ton, but I know there were some. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else, Angela, you would like people in general to know about the experience of trauma survivors? Uh, just, I would, we've already kind of talked about it, but uh, everybody's different. Everybody's reactions are going to be different. Everybody's healing is going to be different. Healing is not linear. You're not going to just get over it. You learn how to deal with trauma, um, but you don't get over that trauma. Um, timing is going to be different for everybody. You know, some people are going to start to heal fairly quickly. They won't ever fully heal, but they will heal fairly quickly. Some people will take longer. Um, and like I said, it's not linear to me. It's like more of an ebb and flow. Like for me, it's to the point where it, so instead of having like, I'm here, I'm doing good. And then going way down and up, it's like more of a, okay, I have a little dip, um, enough. And I, I feel like I'm at the point now where I don't very often have the big dips anymore. Um, which is good, but yeah, everybody's different. Their healing is going to be different. They're never going to get better. They're never going to get over it. Um, and be willing to show some grace to survivors, um, when you're interacting with them. So I think that's a really valuable point that you point out that you're always going to carry that trauma. You might carry it heavier some days, lighter some days, but there's never a point that, you know, it's like, okay, they're, they're totally fine. We can just walk in and hit them with these questions. You need to remember that even after years and years have gone by after a traumatic event, trauma survivors are still holding on to that trauma and they should be treated accordingly. Not like the professional athlete, not like the politician. Right, right, um, right. Angela, is there, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Anything else you had in your notes that we didn't get to today? Mm, no, I think it's pretty much it. I hear your dogs. I guess they're ready to come in. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Thank you so much, Angie. No problem. Thank you.